If you are new, a warm welcome to you. My name is Justin Hare. This is my good friend Brian McGreevy. And you're at Theology on Tap, whether you knew it or not. Uh, we're really excited. This has been a lot of fun this summer. We've done it uh, probably like six times, I think. But uh, the way this works is you'll see these little sheets of paper kind of like randomly around the room. Uh, they'll be on tables. Uh, what we'll do is Brian and I are going to we've talked about a, a given topic each week for about 15-20 minutes. And then throughout that time, you can actually submit any question related to the topic tonight or not, and, um, and we'll do our best to answer it. And uh, there's a couple other things. As you grab a seat, we also have, maybe if some guys want to, we have seats on the, uh, on the steps. Bench, bleacher seating bleacher on the seats. stairs. Uh, we can get rid of some of those pillows over there. Awesome. So... Anyways, you're not going to distract us. If at any point you want to get get up, go grab a, another drink, or go to the bathroom, or grab a bite, feel free to move around. We kind of keep going uh, in this. But so as I said, uh, you will need to submit a question uh, because we would like you to submit a question. But uh, we'll talk for a little bit tonight's topic. It's going to be a great one, um, and we're going to continue this for the fall. This is our last one for the summer. We've been doing this now, like I said, every other Wednesday. But this is the last Wednesday that we're going to meet. Uh, we're going to take a, a little break, and then after September 12th, we're going to start on a Tuesday, uh, same time, 7 to 8.30, but we're going to move to Tuesday nights. Really, really excited about that. And you can actually submit a question, or a topic, sorry, for the fall. If you're like, hey, I really don't like anything these guys have been talking about, I don't know why I keep coming, you can submit a question or a topic uh, that we would address for the fall. Also, if you're not on our email list, we'd love to keep you in the loop. You can also join that here on that sheet as well. Uh, tonight's topic is relationships. Before you get to that, do you want to say anything about the barbecue? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're at St. Philip's Church, which is right down the street. We have free parking in case you didn't know that. You're welcome to park there for this event. Um, this Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m., we're having a young adult's barbecue uh, out on the lawn. So it's... Um, it's still open. I mean, registration closed. A lot of you have already signed up. But if you're still wanting to come, we have some space. So uh, it's this Sunday, 4 to 6. Brian and I will be there again. We'll have some really good barbecue, some fried chicken, red rice, all the good stuff, um, beer, wine, everything there. It'll be a lot of fun. So we'd love to have you come for that. We'll share a little bit about what we're going to do the fall. One of the things you all have given great feedback uh, throughout the summer, one of the things has been we want a little more discussion. And uh, we thought about it. It's going to be challenging. I think we'd love for you to continue to stay around afterwards. We've got a, our own little rooftop bar here uh, so we can keep the conversation going. But the best way for conversation is going to be joining small groups, which will be starting up uh, at St. Philip's starting after September 12th. So come to the, the barbecue if you can this Sunday um, and hear more about all that. But thank you for, for reminding me. If it's barbecue, I'm not going to forget. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, relationships, they're complicated. That's what we're saying yeah. tonight. So we're just going to talk about all relationships tonight. We probably have people here who are married, uh, engaged, dating, single. Um, I don't know if there's other stuff, but yeah. So um, as, across the spectrum, and I'm sure we're going to get some great questions <laughs> this evening. I can't wait to see some of those. but. Uh, why, why are we going to try and talk about just relationships in general? 
Well, I think one of the reasons we're going to talk about relationships in general uh, is that relationships are incredibly important. Um, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, they're incredibly important. If you're coming not from a Christian perspective, they're incredibly important. People don't like to be alone. We've been created to be people who are uh, in relationship with each other. And as Christians, we would say we've been created to be in relationship with God. Um, but part of the reason we want to talk sort of more broadly, uh, we want to push against a little bit the idea that I'm sure no one has ever said this to you, like in a bar, like, are you in a relationship? Uh, but we tend to think that means that you are seriously dating someone, that that's what a relationship is. And part of what we want to push back against a little bit is that idea, because we believe that uh, the way that we are wired and the way that we really experience joy is by having a whole range of different kinds of relationships. And part of what's happened in our culture is that uh, we are continually confronted with something that I think, and I know Justin thinks because we talked about it, um, that really is a lie, which is the idea that if you just try hard enough and go to the right places and you're cool enough and you look good enough, then you will find your soulmate. And when you find your soulmate, all of your problems are over. Your life is going to be great. You're going to be happy. You're going to be fulfilled. And you'll probably be rich, too. And that's the, the, the problem is that that's a lie. And so many people are seduced by that and think that if I don't have this relationship with my soulmate, I'm, I am less than, I am not enough, I'm not, uh, I can't be happy, I can't experience joy, I can't be fulfilled, I can't make any kind of difference. So I think that's part of the reason it's important to look at this in kind of a broader yeah. umbrella. Well, there's absolutely no way we can be exhaustive in, in what we're going to talk about tonight, but, um, and that's not what we're trying to do, but if we could just try to take maybe singleness, dating, and marriage, and just give a, a brief you know, what does the Bible say about each of these? I, I think that would be, if we just talked about that for about 10, 15 minutes, yep. that'd be good. So yep. um, where would you start, I guess, with that? Well, I would start with the fact that, um, and this may sound like a very strange place to start with that question, but I would start with the fact that uh, Christians believe that God is a trinity, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are in relationship with each other, and that there is joy and love in that relationship that overflows to the rest of us. And when you look at singleness, dating, and marriage, one of the things that's important is to take those three things and put them in the context of overall relationships. And to look at that, um, there's a book from St. Augustine up here. I don't know how many of y'all have ever read St. Augustine, but one of the things he talks about is that Love is designed to be ordered, and that when our loves are disordered, when we get them in the wrong priority, things get messed up. And I think for a lot of us, um, we start backwards. We start with 
wanting to be married. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be married. I'm married and I love my wife and it's awesome. Justin's married, his wife is awesome. Marriage is a beautiful thing. But not everyone is called to marriage. And marriage is hard. It is not um, something when you get married, all of a sudden the birds sing and you know, their violins playing and it's just wonderful all the time. You don't have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just you, Justin. Um, I'm sorry, I can't aspire to that level. You made me drop my mic. Um, yeah, but the, I think that the thing about marriage that's important is that with marriage and dating, very often we get the cart before the horse. And what I mean by that is that the first relationship that we're created for is our relationship with God. And even people who are not very strong in their faith, a lot of times will say, you know, I'm really praying that God will bring the right person for me to marry into my life. And there's nothing wrong with praying for that. It's a good thing to pray for. But the fact of the matter is they'll be very concerned about that, but not doing anything about trying to build their spiritual life and build their fellowship um, with other Christians. So I think that the, um, the idea of singleness, dating, and marriage, uh, it's not a continuum of uh, good, better, best. Uh, people are called to all three of those places. And one of the things that people tend to forget when they feel like I'm less than, I'm inadequate because I'm not in a relationship. Uh, Jesus, the perfect human, was single. And he was not even dating. Uh, Paul is single, not even dating. And one of the reasons that it's important to keep that in your mind is that we live in a culture that has idolized sex and sexuality and put that as sort of the forefront of who we are. And that's why there's so much um, talk about identity politics and all of that, where identity, the way we identify, has become such a huge thing. Um, particularly for those of us who are old, like me, um, that is not the way things have been. Uh, it is a pretty recent innovation. And part of the, the problem with that is that when you define yourself only in terms of sexual desires, then you think if those desires can't be fulfilled, then you know my life is empty. I'm not being able to be what I'm supposed to be. But the fact of the matter is, that's only one component of the complex way that God has made people. And so um, that idea that that part of you might not be fulfilled, that is by no means the end of the world. And when you look historically um, in the Christian faith, many of the people who were most joyful um, were people who were single. Yeah, yeah we were um, talking briefly that what all three of those things, single, dating, and married, we tend to view them as a status, each of those, as opposed to a calling, uh, yes. you know, where you are. And so if you are dating or married, you've arrived, and, and you've probably come to the realization that this is not all you thought it was going to be, or you're wanting more. Mm -hmm. And it's hell to be single. So you've got heaven, and that is then promptly not heaven anymore once you actually enter that status um, and realize it's not all it was chalked up to be. But uh, singleness, and, and that's why I love what you're, you're saying, if you view all of these as callings, um, and that's why I think we're starting primarily um, 
with just relationships in general. Because in all of those, you can miss the, the importance of where God's called you to enter into other relationships than the romantic relationship that maybe you're in or longing for. Um, I remember in, in seminary, we were, I was in a marriage counseling class, and he started by opening up uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which is really just about how the people in the church relate to one another. And I was like, well, this is, that's not where I thought he would start at all, but um, if we actually know how to relate to each other and carry, it kind of ties into what we talked about in friendship, if we have true and, and good friendships, you're not going to probably put all that existential weight on the relationship, the romantic relationship that you're longing for. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And one of the things that we miss, how many of y'all have ever been to a wedding where the lesson that was read was 1 Corinthians 13 that starts off with, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And it goes on, love is patient, love is kind. It's read all the time at weddings. And it's a great thing to read at weddings. But it's not written about marriage. Did you know that? It's not written about marriage. It's written about relationships in the body of Christ, fellowship among people who are Christians. And what it's, what it's reminding us of is that marriage is not the destination and that life is on hold until you find that relationship. You are called to be fully who God made you to be in every moment of every day, regardless of what your relationship status might be. And I think beginning to recover that is part of the secret of beginning to recover joy. And one of the reasons it's important is that uh, when you are desperate, no matter what situation it is, if you're desperate for money, you're desperate for a job. I don't know how many of y'all have ever taken a job that you really hated because you just needed a job right then. Um, we can approach relationships that way as well. And that is so unhealthy because what you really want to do is to try to build your life uh, around the way that God has called you and then be available for whatever relationship God calls you to coming from a point of wanting to love and serve that other person rather than coming from the idea of I, I need to be in this relationship to be validated. Yeah, yeah I think, um, you know, just I've been married now for 10 years, which has kind of flown by, but thinking about the aha moment and my getting married, I thought this was all right, this is great. It, it was a destination. And along the way, it was consuming of the other relationships that I had. And I think it was really, it took years actually for me to, to navigate that having friendships outside of this one primary relationship, uh, that that was actually really not healthy to be so isolated mm -hmm. in, in marriage that way. And now with kids, I mean, that's only more of a temptation. But yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of look, going back to the question about what does the Bible say? Well, marriage isn't the end all be all, as you said. It's a, it's a calling and it's, it's designed not primarily for your own happiness. Um, and I realize that, you know, we're in a, a culture now that says marriage is outdated, that people, well, 82% of people today still actually long to get married, whether they um, are Christian, non-Christians, that's just, that's just where they are. So predominantly marriage is not something that's going away. But what the Bible teaches is that marriage is uh, not just this thing that's to give you ultimate happiness, but it's, it's actually a vehicle that God uses in your life to sharpen you 
to expose your own sin and to, um, yes, have compassion for one another. And to, but it really is, as you said, loving the other person, which is often um, being uh, open to seeing the warts and all of the other person and learning to love and grace and truth in that. Um, and ultimately, I mean, the end of the Bible is that there is no more marriage. That when we right. get to heaven, that the, the marriage is just a shadow. This is Ephesians 5 of, of our relationship with God. And so even the, that special relationship that we can long for so much is ultimately just a shadow of, of what God designed us to have in him. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that is so important um, for us to remember, uh, especially if you're a Christian, is that Marriage is a metaphor all through the Old Testament and the New Testament of the relationship between God and his people. And that's part of the purpose of it is to help us understand that. Um, but one of the practical things about marriage that um, even if you're dating someone seriously, you begin to experience some of this, is it's like living with a mirror 24-7. And there's sometimes where we like to look in the mirror. We're dressed up, we've had a shower, we're clean. Yeah, we look in there and we think, we look pretty good. <laughs> then there are other times when you were out till three in the morning and um, you get dragged out of bed at seven um, for something and you go in and you look in the mirror and it's kind of frightening and you think, who is that person? Uh, and you certainly wouldn't want to go out in public. But when you're married, it's 24-7 being with a mirror, and there's things that we like to pretend about ourselves, about how we're just kind. I'm kind all the time, always. I never say anything mean or rude or impatient to anyone. And you can kind of live in your little world and think that, and then you get married, and there's somebody that's watching you that will call you out, and uh, yeah, which is great because it helps you to grow, um, but it's not that there's somebody following you around all the time saying, you are so wonderful. You are my dream. That, that is, and a lot of us think that that's what happens in marriage. Um, and I'm just here to tell you that is not it. Yeah. Marriage is awesome. Um, I'm happy to tell you more about that. But it is, it is not this idea. You're wonderful. You're my dream. Um, that's, that's not the way it goes. And yeah, the whole dating thing um, is like that as well. And one of the problems that we run into in our culture with dating is that we go far too often based on a uh, little C.S. Lewis book plug as usual. Um, the Four Loves this is a really great book you should read. Uh, but he talks about four different kinds of love that are Greek words. Don't let that throw you. Um, storge, eros, philia, and agape. And storge is family love, like you're the love your parents have for you, hopefully. Um, philia is friendship love. Eros is erotic or sexual love. And agape is the unconditional love of God. And what happens in our culture is that dating very often, what we see in the media is dating is supposed to be led by eros. It's supposed to be led totally by, wow, she's hot. Um, and there's nothing wrong with thinking somebody's very attractive. But that is not a basis for a relationship. And for a healthy relationship, you really need all of those elements in it. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. No, I, I kind of want to go back to uh, what you were talking about. You know, you were joking, obviously, about how great you think you are. But um, 
No, you're not. Really? No, no. <laughs> you know, this was this was shocking for me. Like, and it was just because I, I lived by myself, and I didn't actually think that. But it actually trains you when when you live with other people. And so we're going to get into probably I would imagine we got to actually um, get into some of the practical stuff of dating. Mm-hmm. I would imagine and the questions coming up. But one of the things I would say is. Living together, as convenient as it is, it actually trains you to think really highly of yourself. Because you're never in conflict with anybody when you live together. When you live with somebody, if you have roommates, you know exactly what this is like. You have conflict, and that's why um, it's actually a great way to prepare for any relationship, any marriage in particular, but uh, by having a roommate. You mean to live with the person you're dating? No. (laughs) 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 To to live, well, we'll get into probably that, I would imagine, coming up, but... I wouldn't recommend uh, living with the person you're dating, but that's that's Christian and secular wisdom there mm-hmm. too, by the way. But um, I would say that just ha- as opposed to living by yourself, mm-hmm. having um, brothers or sisters in in the church this is what I would recommend anybody um, if you're really truly preparing for marriage. Having that that sanctifying effect, this effect of living mm-hmm. with somebody where they see you all the time. And as an introvert, I would not like that, but it's actually <laughs> needed. Uh, you can still have your space, but like to have the common areas and to, to realize like, wow, this person really doesn't clean and I have to have a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I don't clean and they have to have a hard conversation, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I think that's a really one of those things that's helpful because we, everything that kind of leads up to when you actually live together with your married spouse, teaches you that you were the center of the world and that you're basically pretty good. Yeah. And then you get married and you're not. Yep. <laughs> so yes. um, I would, I, I've got several practical questions that we could go to, but I'm curious. It's 8 o'clock already. Um, we've got Chris somewhere over there. I'm right here. How Do we have any questions? Because I've got more. We do have some questions, but I would encourage those of you who do have questions to find that QR code, scan it, and submit yours. We have five so far, but um, we don't have a whole lot of responses. Well, you want to submit a question or upload a current question, that would be great. So as as y'all do that, so go ahead and grab that. Feel free to shine on. I wanted to, to throw this your way. Obviously, we want to have a place where singles, dating, uh, married folks really are focused on general Christian relationships as a whole. How can we as the church actually create, because I don't think we've done a good job of this in the past, how do we create a space well, what things can we do in the church to help um, f- folks who are in each of those aspects flourish in their relationships? Yeah, I think that's a great question. One of the things that you notice if you read uh, in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, which talks about the early church, uh, one of the things that's always said is that the believers were together. And the believers that are together are across age groups. It's people who are Um, old people who are young, people that are married, people who are single, um, all sorts, and they're together all the time. Their bond that they have as followers of Christ um, makes them want to be together. And so I think part of what the church needs to do um, is to reclaim some of that that used to be part of our um, heritage, really, of providing spaces and places for people to be together, not something that you have to be invited to, but something where you can just come and you can be with people. And that's the way it is at worship on Sunday morning, and that's really important, but that is not time, that's more focused on your vertical relationship with God, less on your horizontal relationships. 
So I think small groups, things like theology on tap, things like this barbecue, things like the different social events that we have at church, or even people like y'all choosing to um, just put the word out that, okay, we're going to have people come over to our house you know, this particular evening and um, bring a dish and we're just all going to hang out. Um, people need to create alternatives to going to Upper King Street and getting wasted every weekend um, because that is that might be entertaining once or twice, but it gets really old and it um, doesn't leave you feeling fulfilled and happy and loved by your fellowship. So what would you say in response yeah, no, to that I, question? I, well, kind of going back to this, one of the things that you said earlier, like when you, be, when you become a Christian, you actually now have the fuel to truly love other people. You now have the relationship that actually gives what you're looking for. <laughs> and so now in turn, you can look to other people, not use them for what you need, but you can actually truly give yourself um, out of the overflow of what you already have in God. Yeah. And so that's huge, because what I see a lot, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's so easy wherever you are to, um, in and outside of church, to associate with those who are in similar, you know, people who look like you, people who are in the same season, you have common interests, and that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. Um, however, one of the things, I, I would say two things, vulnerability and hospitality. Yeah. Those two things, if, if you can have the vulnerability to lean in and, and actually have the eyes to see... Um, those who maybe are on the margins in your church that you don't actually um, maybe they're not the, the majority of the people there and, and crossing the, the age boundaries or whatever you know intergenerational relationships I've mentioned some of the best friendships that I have are actually not with people who are in my sphere at all right um, but when you're in college for instance like going being invited into the house of um, one of the families that just invited me to lunch with them at their house after church. And that was like one of the most amazing things because they pretty much adopted me in there. And, but it, it goes beyond that. It's if you're, if you're married, it's looking at basically having actual friendships with single people and not just hanging around with married people who have the exact same age yeah. children you have and all that sort of thing. So, and that's a sacrifice. That actually takes sacrifice to do it, but you- And initiative. And initiative. Yeah. And that vulnerability, I think, leading in with it. But, um, and the vehicle through which you do that is hospitality, yes. opening up your home, opening up um, spaces where you can have genuine conversation, getting to know other folks. So I think it's just having the courage to be open enough to actually invite those that maybe aren't like you to do that. Um, one of the books that I do have up here uh, is by a guy named Wesley Hill. He is um, a, a Christian who believes that homosexuality is a sin, but he has always known homosexuality to be identify himself as a homosexual and so he described I read this in seminary and it just floored me because the as a chapter all throughout where he talks about his experience of trying to live a celibate life and we can talk about just how we don't have a plausible vision for what that is at all but he says wow the church was a terrible place for me because there was no actual place that I could fit in and have these relationships of of actually an embrace with people like so we have to be attuned to these sorts of things um, and as much of as great as marriage is when that becomes the only and the best relationship it really does a disservice to the fuller body of Christ right so yeah that was a lot but I'm gonna th yeah we got to get to the questions so flip to Chris all right question number one is why should I get married if Paul did not 
You don't have to. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, it all depends on your call. Um, I'm assuming this means that you are single um, rather than like living with someone. But the the idea of Paul's singleness and Jesus's singleness is that they were focused on what God's call in their life was. And um, I will defy you to find two people who were um, more joyful than Jesus and Paul. Um, that living into their call brought them joy. And so um, getting married is not something that's necessary. And the scriptures talk about that, that not everyone needs to be married. Yeah, and it's actually not at, like you've, it's not less than either, right? It's an actual, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that it's actually, uh, he wishes that everyone was, was had that gift of singleness because it, it, if you th view it through the lens of an opportunity, mm -hmm. uh, an opportunity to do things that I remember uh, in college, I was like, I can't believe that, you know, I, I was really, I was a Baptist at the time and like hated the Catholic Church. That was, you know, um, just a little confession there, I guess. But I was like, I don't know why they would like demand people, like priests in the church, not to be married. That just doesn't make sense. But I, it actually has now started to make some sense because I have a family of my own, and I realized, wow, it does take significant time out, um, and I still don't think they should mandate everybody be um, uh, single, sorry. But I, so I think that it's a, a good thing if you're a priest that you can be married or pastor. But um, it does, it's an opportunity to actually love and to carry on Christ's mission uh, in a way that you just practically can't do as much mm -hmm. if you're married. Yeah. So, but it's about calling. Yeah. Good question. Okay, is sex outside of marriage really sinful? Okay, so is sex outside of marriage really sinful? Yes. Um, so uh, the scriptures are very clear about that. And I think the best analogy that I've ever heard for why that's true is that sex is something that is the ultimate vulnerability that you can have with another person. And to have that vulnerability without the security of a lifetime commitment to that person can lead to profound brokenness. And that analogy that I've heard about uh, sex that I think is a good one is that if it's a really cold night and you are coming into your house and there is a beautiful fire that has been lit that's in the fireplace and it's warm and crackling and you can get next to it, you can feel that warmth starting to permeate the frozenness of your body. Um, it is a beautiful thing. It is, there's joy and wonder in that. But if on the other hand, you wake up in the middle of the night and uh, your bedroom and bathroom are on fire um, that is a very different feeling. And they're the same thing. It's fire, but it's two very different contexts. And I think that uh, sex and marriage, uh, and again, part of the deal is that metaphor about marriage of God and his people. Um, sex is part of that, not that God is having sex with people, but that that intimacy is what that is about. And when you take that kind of intimacy and try to put it into a dating relationship, it invariably overloads it. And 
I can't tell you how many counseling times I've had with people that have um, gone down the road with that and then been profoundly hurt and broken by it who wish they could go back. Um, the great thing is there's great mercy and great forgiveness and healing um, if you've made mistakes in that area. Do you want to comment on yes. that? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think all too often people hear the same message from priests like ourselves that, you know, sex is a sin, so it's bad. But the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus saves sinners. So all of us have sexual brokenness. And I think that's the, the place to start. It's not if you have. Every single one of right. us does. Yep. So um, that's the foundation for it. I um, would say... You know, I'm anticipating an objection of somebody saying, well, I do love this person with everything. We're just not married. We don't need marriage. It's outdated. Well, the best argument that I've heard going along with that is like, why, why, the, why the legal aspect of it? I don't need a pay, piece of paper, right? Well, actually, that's important <laughs> because you are committing yourself to a community, holding yourself to a legal standard that all that you are and all that you have is the others. And mm -hmm. All too often we talk about what we're against instead of what we're for. And, and God is for something as good as sex to be enjoyed only when it, it it's, can be enjoyed fully within that ultimate vulnerable legal status where everything belongs to the other. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And the second thing is we have a completely botched understanding of sex in our modern day. Um, there's two books uh, that I would recommend. This one is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Uh, we have a lot of books of it. We're kind of nerds. I recommend yeah. you come up. <laughs> Not kind of. Yeah. We're yeah, seriously we're, nerds. Uh, but <laughs> what's so important about this is, A, we just view ourselves as basically heads on a stick. It's kind of what the modern person is. It's just, we're just our bodies. But like Christianity has said for a long time, no, your body and soul. And sex is more than just the, uh, it's not a handshake. You're doing something more in sex than just like, it, there, there's an interaction with the soul. And it, it's emotional as well. And it's intended to be that way. Which is, goes back to why in, in that original covenant confine that's made to flourish. Um, but we have come, and what he traces here is essentially that, um, I'll give you the whole argument of the whole book right here in one sentence basically. It's uh, who I am as a person, it, it became so individualized, it, I became who I am in my own mind. Rousseau, right? Or I, um, I think therefore I am. That wasn't Rousseau. But, yeah, that's um, Descartes. Yeah, that's Descartes. But it's the same sort of thing. So it, who I am as an individual became basically solely in my mind. And then Freud came along and sexualized that and mm -hmm. said, well, who you are as a person is who you are as a sexual being. And then ultimately Marx came along and said, it politicized all of that, and now you must express that um, socially. So that's, that's what he traces through. Um, but the point of that is like we view ourselves as ultimately sexual beings and that if we repress that, that's why I was saying earlier, we have no vision plausibly for celibacy because what we say people are, and what, that's just the undercurrent of if you're breathing today, everyone believes that essentially and if you are depriving me of what I, what I want to do sexually, you're robbing me of who I am as a person. And that's all influenced by these philosophical things yeah. in the last 200 years. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously one of the things that that runs counter to in Christianity is the symbol of Christianity is the cross, dying to yourself, not saying myself and what I want is the most important thing. But the other thing I want to add, um, just to be really clear, is that God is the one who invented sex. Sex is a great thing. 
It is a beautiful and joyous gift. And God made sex so that it was pleasurable. He didn't make it so it was some horrible duty. So God's the author of all of that, but he intends it to be used only in a certain covenant relationship of marriage. For your ultimate joy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Clear as mud. What else you got? Should complementarianism be debunked? Um, What do you mean? (laughs) That's such a loaded question. Uh, Complementarianism, I would want to say, okay, what... Do you want to define your terms first? Yeah, what kind of complementarianism? I'm asking you first. (laughs) Okay, well... One, there, there are several different contexts that that word can be used, um, but one of them is the idea that men and women are created differently and that they are created for different roles and they have different strengths um, and gifts and aptitudes and that um, they are, um, together they form a complementary whole. So sort of the opposite of that would be there's no difference between men and women at all. All of, all of the things that we perceive as differences are social constructs. So would you go with that? Yeah, you know, this is what, it's, this is one of those things that's so loaded, I really would want to talk with the person who, what they understand yes. complementarianism to be. So I, that's my caveat in all of this is I, I want to do justice to what they actually believe complementarianism is and, and what egalitarianism is, but yeah, I, would, I would go along with that. Yeah, and so I would say from a Christian standpoint, um, the one, a huge theological concept is what's called Imago Dei, image of God, that we are all of us made in the image of God, and that goes right back to the creation story in Genesis where it says, um, God made man in his own image, male and female created them. Male and female are in the image of God, and that's the only thing that God said is very good. And um, you know, from a medical perspective, um, women and men are different. There are just ways that we are different biologically, besides the obvious things. There are chemical differences. There are all sorts of differences. Um, all of that is not to say that there are, there are things that should be just women and just men, and you know there, there's no gray area or anything like that. But I think that the, um, the understanding that the church has and that you see in scripture is that each of us has different gifts and that we are to use the gifts that we have been given. And we're not to um, pout um, that we don't have different gifts. And so um, a lot of times when you get into these complementarianism debates, um, it's a very sort of theoretical sort of straw man um, rather than something that is the real actual issue. So I would I would go along with Justin, but this would be a great thing. If you're thinking a lot about that, to talk to one of us um, individually about that. I, I will say, um, Jeff, had a great answer to this last time about Ephesians chapter 5. Somebody asked the question about uh, should I submit to my husband? Because that's one of the, you know, whenever you do marriage counseling, it's probably like the first place that people are thinking of. They're coming in there, they know that verse, they know what they've said about it. But more often than not, it's probably been taken out of context. And one of the things that he said that I really appreciate um, is 
you know, first of all, I, I would say egalitarianism, this idea that there's no distinction between men and women functionally, I, I don't think that's accurate with, like, again, secular or Christian um, science and understanding. Like, there, there's tremendous differences between them. The point is, is, are they valued in the same way? Are, are they equal? The same, and you look to the Trinity, it's what you said. Jesus submitted to the Father. He was equal with the Father. If you disagree with that, that's heresy. That goes against. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, and, and what Jeff ultimately started saying is there's mutual submission practically in marriage all the time. I hold to a complementarian understanding where um, it, it, it talks about the husband is the head of the, the, his household and the head of the wife is Christ is the head of the church. And what he's called to do is die for, for his bride. And so really what people do is they focus on submission and they don't actually look at what the husband's actually called to do. Now, does that mean that I'm inherently more gifted? In, in a, I don't think so. My, y'all know my wife. She's amazing in so many ways. She is amazing. She is more talented and gifted than I am almost across the board. Um, and so, like, hands down. Uh, with the exception, maybe like finance and directions. It's like she cannot do those two things at all. Like it's no, that's like what she said. She'd be the first one to say that, and this is recorded, so she can she'll back it up. I promise. You come on Sunday and you can ask her about it. She'll tell you. But the thing is, um, what was I talking? Well, about? I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna jump back to Ephesians five yeah. for a minute because there's a great lesson in there. But you should never pull a verse of scripture out of context. Yeah. Never, because you will totally miss it. It's just like what you see with um, film clips that are pulled out of a larger conversation. You can get a totally wrong perspective about what's going on. Ephesians 5 starts off talking about relationships in the body of Christ. And the, the general part, the last sentence is, submit to one another, therefore, out of reverence for Christ. Yeah that everyone in the body of Christ is called to submit to everyone else. And then after that comes wives, submit to your husbands. And then right after that comes husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, the way that Christ loved the church was to lay down his life and be crucified on the cross for the church's salvation. So those are both pretty demanding Standards, And so it's not that somehow one is more important than the other. Both are image bearers of the holy God who made us, but we are in relationship with one another that's mutually submissive. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> it was um, that basically the question was, should complementarianism be debunked? No, because Christians can disagree about this, first of all. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that egalitarians are not Christians. I think that there's breadth in the Christian faith to do this. I would say that oftentimes we're dealing with caricatures. So people are thinking right. what it means to be a, a strong man. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Justin locks Molly, obviously, in the house, and she just stays. Like, that is not at all. What I'd like happens. to see you try that. No, no, I think it's the other way around. Uh, but the church. <laughs> uh, truth be told. I'll it, come get you out. Yeah. You know, it is far more um, practical and team-oriented. Yeah. It's abusive. So, like, so many of the caricatures are straight-up abuse, but I don't think complementarity, when viewed correctly, is, is wrong or even abusive. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's actually beautiful, and I wish we had 
<laughs> our wives here for this question because I bet they would attest to it. Yes. I'd love to talk more about the next question. question. So the question, in case you didn't hear that, is I have a friend who's gay, um, who is a very strong Christian, um, who believes he should be celibate. Do you think that he should ignore these feelings? Um, I think that's a great question. I think one of the things that is um, really unfortunate is that in the church, there has not been um, what I would call a loving attitude toward people that struggle with same-sex attraction um, and that people have tended to feel like that's something that you can't talk about or share about. Uh, but I think that the, the witness of the scriptures is clear um, that you may have uh, desires or feelings, but that acting on those desires um, by getting into a sexual relationship with somebody of the same sex is wrong. Um, but the flip side of that is the desires themselves, um, there's a great old quotation from Martin Luther about temptation, um, where he said uh, that you may not be able to stop the birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. And uh, I think that that there's a lot of truth to that. And we also need to remember that the scriptures in Hebrews particularly talk about the fact that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So temptation um, itself is not sin, um, but I think acting out on those desires would be. And part of the church's role is to come alongside and practice real love and fellowship with people that are struggling with same-sex attraction said that they are experiencing the love of the body of Christ uh, as they walk this path. Yeah, uh, read this book. <laughs> it's Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill where he talks about this very experience. Um, I think one of the reasons why uh, our culture says that that you, that's so unfathomable that you would say that to a person. Uh, first of all, I mean, Jesus actually didn't express his sexual desires, and yet he was perfect without yeah. sin. Um, the other, I think the main thing in our culture is that people fundamentally think uh, that people are good, and we don't understand the idea of original sin, that each of us is born with what's called concupiscence, this idea that we have sinful desires inside of us that, that express themselves emotionally, physically, sexually, and that is who we are now on this side of the fall. And the problem um, when you deny that is you have to basically affirm you know, the goodness of, of all these things. But um, if you have a paradigm for understanding, well, actually, I'm by nature now a sinner, um, and I want to deny part of who I am. I want to I try to, and, and the church is, boy, I mean, like, there's been terrible advice given by the church on some of this, of like, pray the gay away and all that stuff. It, no, it's, it, it, most every gay person I know has known this to be a part of their life from the very beginning, but they've lost the idea. Um, those who say, well, this is, 
this can't be bad because it's all that, that they've ever known and God never makes any. They've lost the idea of original sin, the right. idea that we yeah. all have sinful proclivities in us that express themselves in a variety of ways. And what the church needs is to create a place of welcome where all it's welcome to the family, welcome yeah. to the club where we all have these things that we are constantly um, struggling with, but we know that there's forgiveness mm-hmm. in Christ, um, and we need one another in that journey. Yep, yep. But that's, a, again, a great question that uh, if you have more questions about that, we're happy to talk with you individually. Yeah. you have more? Last one, probably. Yeah. We haven't had any like practical dating stuff, and I know you're the expert dating advice person. So, <laughs> what do you think about meeting people online, Brian? Um, you know, meeting people online. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> there there are a lot of things that I think about it. I, I will say. I almost made a really ageist joke right there. But thank you, know, thank yeah. you for restraining yourself. Um, <laughs> But I think sometimes there are good things about dating apps. I think sometimes they can help you to find people who are similarly situated. Um, But one of the the things that is, particularly if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, you don't want to be dating people who are not Christians. And most dating apps, even Christian dating apps, you just don't know. Um, but I, th- I think that I, I wouldn't want to make a blanket pronouncement against them. Um, but I would say that there are a lot of other better ways to meet people. Uh, I think that through your friends is a good way, through the church, through volunteer work, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, but the the, the problem with dating apps is you never know whether what you are finding out about the other person is actually true or not. And that just has a lot of emotional and other risks to it. Yeah. We might actually disagree on this one. I think. Okay. I, I am completely fine with it in many ways. I have sympathy for folks today because we have become such a marginalized and you don't have sympathy for folks today. That's the way I came across. <laughs> no, but thinking about thanks, what, Justin. Thinking about where uh, I didn't mean for it to come across that way. Um, you know, where, where do you meet people now? I mean, we have become such an isolated society. I think dating apps can be helpful. I think that it can be something that actually um, creates the opportunity for relationship. And in some ways, like you're saying, it can lay what you say about yourself out there. You, I think people are more open now to. Let's get to the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's generally what you're seeing across culture. And so I think dating apps can be a helpful tool. I would recommend, um, uh, it, it, uh, you know, trying to do that long distance would be really hard because, again, like I think what you're saying is a valid point. You need to actually spend time with the person to see what they've said online about them is true or not. What people say about themselves and then what they actually do are not always the same thing. It's really important in a relationship to. Hey, you need to respect the person, admire the person, and that's so hard to do online. But if you view it as a tool um, to facilitate in-person sorts of relationships, then yeah, I, I, I don't see it being a particularly bad thing. A lot of folks I know um, have benefited from that. So. 
such great questions tonight. Um, please come back. Uh, we're going to have a great time this fall. And so, in all seriousness, um, if you have any ideas of, of topics that you want, I mean, we can come up with them, but you can share them right here. Again, we'd love to have you on Sunday for the barbecue. Uh, we talked about a lot of weighty things, uh, which is great. And I know that, that in this sort of environment, um, if there is more, please, we'll be here for a long time and would love to talk to you more about that. There's things that we can explain in a conversation with somebody that we couldn't do here. But um, we're really grateful for each of you and for being here, taking the time uh, to come. And uh, we will email you next when we're meeting, which will be in almost three weeks, basically, yep. but Tuesday. So um, yeah, thanks for and coming. Just so you know, uh, we are probably sometime by the middle of September all of our uh, talks and dialogues and oh, questions yeah. and answers will be up on Apple Podcasts. So uh, if you want to re-listen or um, share with a friend, it'll be much easier to do that. Uh, and we're, we're about a month out from having that yeah. up, but that, that is coming. But again, thank you so much for taking the time to come out tonight and share this time with us. We're very grateful for your being here, and we'll be around if you want to chat anymore. And we're grateful for Henry's, as always. This place is Ben. And Clark. Clark. Clark is the man. Clark Wade. Yeah. I didn't say this tonight, I want to say it. Drink up and tip well, because they, I mean, everybody is actually, with a labor shortage and all this stuff, they've really been over backwards to accommodate us, and we're thrilled, and we hope we can continue doing this for a long time. Yes. And um, we're just really appreciative. So, uh, yeah, drink up and tip well. Thanks, y'all. Right. Thanks.